Let us pray together. Settle us, O God, and fill us with enough peace to hear your word as it comes to us this day. Open our hearts that we might fully embrace the promise you offer and the love you proclaim. Amen. Today's lesson comes from Genesis, beginning with chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and then chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. It is printed in your bulletin, and it also begins on page 14 in the Old Testament Hebrew section of your pew Bible. Hear these words. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There under the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced and aged, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah will indeed bear a child now that I am old. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, Yes, you did laugh. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. 
as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is nearly impossible for me to think about laughter without thinking about my friend Scott. Scott and I met in college in Ohio. He was older than me, and I like to remind him he still is. But we had some mutual classes and mutual friends, so over time, we got acquainted. Scott grew up in Worcester, Ohio, with dreams of one day playing basketball for the College of Worcester, and then going on to star for the Chicago Bulls. Now, if you think this sounds far-fetched, it might help to know that Scott's father played college, played basketball for the College of Worcester, and to this day still holds the record for career rebounds with 1,023. It was a source of family pride, so much so that when Dave Goulden died far too early, A barely teenaged Scott promised his father in his final days that he would break that record himself and ensure it stayed in the family name. The problem, though, is that Scott's basketball career fizzled out in the 11th grade when he failed to make the varsity team. Scott will tell you it was more the pain of a broken promise than a broken dream that haunted him. But if basketball wasn't Scott's foremost gift, comedy was. My friend is funny. He's done stand-up in Chicago. He's done some writing for Second City. He will make you laugh. But here's where he's truly gifted. He will make you laugh without ever once making you laugh at someone else's expense. And so in college, at a different liberal arts school in Ohio, Kenyon, not Worcester, Scott formed a sketch comedy group that prided itself on being good, clean family fun. Now, not many people have the ability to hit the very small margin of overlap between good, clean family fun and actually entertaining to college students. But Scott pulled it off. And the name of this comedy group that endured long after he himself had graduated was 1033. 1033. It was, Scott says, his way of honoring one of the last promises he ever made to his father. You see, my friend Scott understands the power of laughter. He understands the capacity it has to heal and to even give birth to new and unexpected things. Now, you can't blame Sarah for laughing, even if for the first time it was the laughter of pure disbelief. Three strangers show up out of nowhere, 
Her husband, Abraham, enlists her in the task of hospitality. And while the strangers rest and eat food hastily prepared for them, they casually mention that Sarah is going to have a son. And Sarah, who is eavesdropping nearby, cannot help herself. She laughs. Now, a few details that are given to us earlier in Genesis. Back in chapter 15, God promises Abraham that he is going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. Look up, God says. You are going to have that many children. But by the time the strangers arrive, there are no children between the two of them. Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 90 years old, and told she's going to be pregnant any day now. Of course, she laughs. No one hears that first laugh, though, except for God. And God takes her to task for it and says, Why did you laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too challenging? And Sarah denies it, but it is clear that God knows better. She laughed. And that laughter, it reveals to us the tension that has always existed between God's inscrutable, all but impossible to understand intentions, and the resistance, and sometimes even mockery, of those who doubt the promise and simply cannot believe It might possibly be true. Abraham and Sarah, at this point, they are not models of faith. They are models of utter disbelief. As one scholar puts it, the powerful promise of God outdistances their ability to receive it. Now, it comes to us in a strange story, but I believe that to be magnificently good news That God is always ahead of us. That God's promise is always pressing against us and pushing us to expand our understanding of who God is and what trusting in God really means. That God's promise is going to be God's promise whether we are ready to receive it or not. Whether we can wrap our heads around it yet or not. Walter Brueggemann is one of the foremost scholars of the Old Testament, and he puts it this way. He says, this story shows us what a scandal and what a difficulty faith really is. Faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and perception. The promise of the gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom that is easily accommodated to everything else. Embrace of this gospel requires shattering and discontinuity. The gospel in this text breaks out of the parameters of reason, wisdom, morality, and plain common sense. It questions normal epistemology. It turns its back on accepted value systems. It is the heaviest criticism available about the way we define and understand our reality. I think he's right. This story is the first of many that will demonstrate time and time again how God is always out 
ahead of us and how God beckons for us to have faith enough to follow. But that also means that when we find ourselves in front of God and we are trying to hold up stop signs and fence God in, we need to ask ourselves very seriously if maybe we've gotten something wrong. If I understand this text, Sarah's laughter here is both warning and promise. Our attempts to limit God will not actually limit God. Because if you fast forward a little bit, two chapters and nine months or so, lo and behold, Sarah gives birth to a son, Isaac. And about all of this, she says, God has given me laughter, and everyone who hears it will laugh with me. Her laughter is once rooted in bitter disbelief. But it is now full of unbridled joy, and it invites others to join in. And just in case we might be prone to forget this story, the name Isaac means the one who laughs. And you may remember that from this point on, God will countless times throughout the rest of Scripture be referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac. And every time that is spoken or invoked, we are invited to remember that God is full of laughter and God is full of surprise and God is probably about to do something shocking, whether we are ready for it or not. Now, having come full circle on this story, I actually want to take us back to the beginning Because while we hold on to everything this story means, we ought not lose sight of where it's rooted. It is rooted in three strangers who show up seemingly out of nowhere and receive an offer of hospitality. Abraham and Sarah make space in their lives for people they do not know, who say things they do not understand, who have ideas wildly beyond their own. Hospitality is about making gracious space. And there is physical hospitality. You all know more than a thing or two about that. But there is also intellectual hospitality and theological hospitality. The making of gracious space for ideas and faith that might be different from our own. Scripture is clear that hospitality is important. And I submit to you that hospitality in its fullest and most complete form will change us. Now, it might be as simple as someone comes to visit and we rearrange the furniture to make room for the pull-out bed, and we discover that the side table actually looks better where it is now under the window. And maybe it's as simple as someone presents us with a new idea that requires us to rearrange some of the furniture in our minds, and instead of dismissing it, we allow it to stay around for a little while 
And over time, we begin to understand things differently than we did before. You see, when we make room in our lives for other people and other ideas and other expressions and understandings of faith, more often than not, we end up making room for God. And whatever new thing God is trying to teach us or reveal to us, Some of you might be aware that the Presbyterian Church's General Assembly concluded yesterday. If you had absolutely no idea, that's okay. It is a festival of Presbyterian nerdiness. And I say that with love in my heart as someone who has participated before. It is something to behold. It is where representatives of each presbytery gather for the biggest, longest meeting you have ever been a part of. When it is not COVID times, it is a meeting that lasts for nine days. They let you take a break to sleep. Now I'm oversimplifying this, but this meeting is where our denomination decides if anything about the way we organize ourselves or anything about the theological claims we make needs to be changed. This year, among other things, an advocacy group was formed for those who identify as LGTBQ. And the motion passed so quickly, you might have missed it. There was little discussion and no objection. And this is because the denomination has made clear in recent years, it is our theological conviction that those who identify as LGTBQ are just as beloved by God as those who do not, and therefore are to receive welcome, participation, leadership, and celebration within the church. But it was not always that way. You see, when I was ordained back in 2009, anyone openly involved in a same-sex relationship was not eligible for ordination. That changed in 2011, and clergy were not permitted to marry same-sex couples until 2014. And for years upon years, before either of these changes, our denomination debated these things and continued to say, Certainly, there were limits on God's welcome. I remember where I was when the final vote came in that changed the marriage policy. I was sitting in the enormous sanctuary of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, listening to a lecture by Diana Butler Bass. And in the middle of her lecture, she, I think, was in the middle of a sentence. Someone yelled out from the balcony, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the votes have come in, and the Presbyterian Church will now recognize same-sex weddings. Diana Butler Bass later wrote about that moment. She wrote, No one in my career has ever cared less about what I had to say than that room full of Presbyterians. <laughs> she said the lecture stopped, and screaming and clapping and laughter rang out from the rafters. It was a moment of witnessing incredible and holy joy.
Now let me be clear, I share this as part of this sermon, not because the entire denomination agrees, but because it is easily the biggest shift I have ever witnessed in the church. And it is a shift that came with significant cost, because for a long time, the powerful promise of God outdistanced our ability to receive it. And we, like Sarah, took a good long while to learn that our attempts to limit God will not actually limit God. And like Sarah, we learned that when we make space enough for God to do what God will do, the future opens up in more ways than we could ever imagine. We become more faithful each and every time we are willing to follow God's lead. When Sarah laughed, one of the strangers asked her, why are you laughing? Is anything too wonderful for God? Is anything too impossible? And when the angel visited Mary, the divine messenger had to reassure her, nothing will be impossible with God. And eventually, the one who would know more than any other, Jesus, he promised his followers, nothing will be impossible for you. Is anything too wonderful for God? Anything? Is anything too impossible Friends, I want Thomas to grow up in a world, and I want us to live in a world where we cling to the good news of the gospel, that anything and everything that corresponds to God's good purpose in this world is possible. It is possible by the grace of God, the grace of God and the laughter of Sarah. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.